This is Family Electric Ghost, and we are live on the air on our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch channels with Tass Doherty, author of These Perfectly Careless Things. And uh, you're a British-Irish-American writer and author, and you're the creator of Miseducated, a blog and podcast uh, for business and pleasure. So welcome to the Family Electric Ghost podcast. How are you doing tonight? Thank you so much. I'm great. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Uh, we have a little bit of a busy night today. We 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 tend to do our podcasting after our day job, and uh, we started with yours the first tonight. Um, Amazing. But what what's cool is um, we also you probably see that thing scrolling below. We are a featured podcast on Newsly. It's another podcast network. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know about it, you can check it out with the coupon code Ghost. We'll be live on there later tonight. Um, so that's that's a featured podcast that we're on. So there's people can check that out with that coupon code ghost. But we also have your URL, tashdoherty.com forward slash book. And people won't have to remember that. That'll be clickable. So wherever the podcast is published, you'll be able to click through and go right to that link. And I'm assuming that's where you can get your book. It is exactly that page. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's also the audiobook and the Kindle version as well, which uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to make an audiobook before, but that is, it's a big undertaking. <laughs> so That's yeah. interesting. They're jumping on that. I go a little out of order on what I usually ask. Did you do the voice on your audiobook or did you have voice actors? No, I did it myself. Um, yeah, I heard from people who really like audiobooks that it's very important for authors to be able to read their work. So I did. I took it upon myself to read my entire work. Um, I live in Mexico City and I rented a studio here for about 12 hours to read the whole thing, including all of the mishaps and everything. And then after that, I had to do like a couple hundred hours of editing <laughs> to get that together. But um, That's cool. yeah, and I have an audiobook, which is awesome. Oh, congratulations on actually you. using your own voice. Because I know some people, they they don't do that. But I think it is more authentic if you actually hear the author. Right. Um, yeah. That, you know, being a music producer, I kind of come from that point of view. But <laughs> um, so one of the first things we like to ask, besides we, we, we what we just asked, is like what motivates you and why do you do what you do? Why did you want to be an author? Oh my god, that's such a great question because I started writing this book when I was like 14 years old. So it's been a while. That <laughs> took me all the way to publishing through it. Um, I originally wanted to do it because my English teacher at the time just told me that some other girl in my high school had like published and become an author in like a single summer. So I was like, how hard this can this be? Um, but over time, I really came to love the process of writing. Just like I'm obsessed with writing. I find it really like therapeutic. I really just enjoy doing it. Um, and so, yeah, I just like got really into the story and the characters in the book and everything. Um, and and then it just became now that I'm now that I'm older, it became like my childhood dream. You know what I mean? Like I always remembered that I wanted to do this book for ages and ages and ages. And then last year I was like, I have to just finish this and publish it. And now it's available, which is amazing. It's interesting. I've, I talk to a lot of creative people and it's always that a lot of times there's a difference between a creative person and a person that you know can't see themselves, you know, doing any kind of art mm-hmm. or creativity yeah. is the fact that you um kind of get out of your own way. And you, you don't have as much of that imposter syndrome to, to the point where you actually do the work, right? Yeah, you, yeah, you actually totally. put it out there, and yeah, that's a I'm hard thing for a lot of people to do. A little bit. There we go. Like, uh, <laughs> um, but it, it seems like a hard thing because a lot of people are so scared about what other people's opinions are, or trying to comparison trap. Try to mm-hmm. like, well, you know, can't I can't be 
Langston Hughes, I can't be Orson Welles, I can't be, you know, I can't be all these other people. So I, I shouldn't even try art. Right. I mean, I also went to business school and like have spent time working in industries that I didn't really like and trying to do what other people, you know, would consider good, good jobs and that kind of stuff. Um, but I was just very unhappy. So sometimes you get so unhappy and so fed up and frustrated with how things are going in your life that you actually like make change. And that's what I had to do in order to like get my book out there. Um, and, and also, I mean, the process of like publishing the book was also difficult because I was, a, I was an aspiring writer or an aspiring author for like 15 years, you know, like I'm almost 30. So like I've spent more, almost half of my life aspiring to be an author. And now actually that I am an author, it's like, I've also had to kind of lay to rest that younger, that person inside of me that I have been for the last 15 years. And that amount of change, I think it's also terrifying for people. Um, but then there's just some things that you just have to do. Like I just had to finish this and I had to self-publish it because it was taking forever. It would have taken too long with traditional publishers and everything. Um, and I had to finish this book so that I could move on and then start other books and like other fun projects too. So yeah, we made it. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting also that a lot of people, you know, that you, you find that you're not comfortable with the plans that people say are like what you should do. Right. Like, like what your parents say or what society says or what your college says or the expectations you go to a business school where you, know, you should be an MBA, you should be on the board, you know, you should, should be a CFO, you should be a CIO, you should be a, you know, C mm -hmm. you, you expect you to be running your own business, be an entrepreneur. So all these expectations and then you're like, well, you know, I want to be a poet. Yeah. Everybody looks at you like, <laughs> poet? How are you going to make any money doing that? <laughs> yeah, my mom still says that to me. She's still like, how are you going to support yourself and make any money? But I am actually celebrating two years um, without a full-time job this March. So uh, it can be done. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that really, really resonates with me. And I, the one way to like usually figure out what your creative projects or dreams really are is like, what do you plan to do when you retire? You know, like that was mm. something that I said to myself where I was like, I can write when I retire, like I can write once I have a billion dollars in the bank or whatever. Um, and but basically, I just allowed myself a small amount of work, whether it was every day writing a little bit here and there. And then I just fell in love with that process again. And then I was like, I don't want to live another day where I'm not working on this, you know, in some capacity, basically. Um, and sometimes also in, in a near death experience, touch wood, will... Uh, <laughs> can trigger that in you as well so that definitely happened to me and uh it was it's quite dark so i don't know if we want to explore that exactly but um that was a big motivation motivator for me to get back into writing my book as well so that that is interesting because I, I have talked to a lot of people that have these um these kind of crucible moments right and that's how they you know i talk to a lot of creative people people who are entrepreneurs writers authors film directors musicians actors and a lot of times they 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 finally get into it because of some kind of pivotal thing that happens and sometimes it is like near death or it's medical or it's something that that, that happened that triggers them to say well why not try yeah. to do something i really want to do instead of not being happy yeah exactly i think for me it was like i was already trying to write my book and trying to do some articles and stuff when the when all my stuff happened to me but like that it did unfortunately like cat like catalyze it a little bit but i would say though for anyone that does go through something really really terrible and near death ex like in terms of that is that i think also the focus on post-traumatic growth is kind of like it's unfair right like if you go through something really difficult the fact that you have like survived and like gotten through that i think is is 
successful enough you know like we're not all going to be like oprah and like going on and being like yeah i'm like i'm so reformed now now i'm like this incredible like seven figure entrepreneur like no like you know the difficult things happen to people there's like lots of you know setbacks and stuff um but sometimes it just remembering yeah you know steve jobs as he would say like if this was if this was the last day of my life would i want to live it how i'm living it today um yeah that's that's huge yeah, I think that is the kind of motivation because a lot of times, you know, like the scale of the way things are, it's like if if you look at, you know, they, there's an expectation that people kind of fit in the box. Right. And a lot of times artists, we're on the kind of the like different sides of that scale. We're on the like different extremes and everybody wants you to be kind of in the middle, but middle of the road isn't kind of where the artist mindset is. Like the right. artist mindset is usually something that's kind of at the bleeding edge. Like you're mm -hmm. doing something that's your unique voice, so it doesn't really exist, right? right. You might be something like this, but you're, what you're trying to say with your art is usually very personal and vulnerable and something that's like you. And like, there's no real understanding of how that's gonna do until you put it into the world. Yeah. And put time behind it, so it's a risk. Right. And people tend to be risk averse. Right. Yeah. I will say like, I've definitely taken the super independent route since I started writing and stuff. Like I have my own Substack. I am a self-published author. Um, and I have like full creative control over everything that I do. And I don't, you know, it would be great to get a huge traditional publishing deal, but then if the editor comes in and like cuts half the story up and then is like, Oh, then you need this cover. And like, this is how we're going to market it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do, it's, it's a lot of obviously a lot more work to do it alone. Um, but in a way, then you don't have anyone meddling in your stuff. And and it's the internet days, you know, like we can post whatever we want to on the internet. Obviously, people are going to have their opinions and stuff and like maybe hate, <laughs> maybe hate the things that you do. Um, but it's important, I think, to like speak your mind and uh, just, yeah, do what you, well, think, yeah, do the stories that you want to do. I think it's very important. Well, sometimes I'm a producer and one of the things we run into is you get some artists that don't have a clear vision. You know, sometimes right. I'll run into an artist and they have a totally well-defined vision. They know exactly what they want to do. And then you have other artists that are kind of like a little needy and they're like looking for somebody mm -hmm. to guide them. Right. And they might want to clone some other sound or they might have come to you because they know you have a certain sound. They kind of want to jump on that and they're less independent. And I'm like, I've always liked somebody that does something I've never heard right. or something that's like, wow, that's, that's a different take on something. So if you have your own vision as an artist and you know what your cover is going to be, you know what, you know, some editor comes in and changes a lot of the content Well, that, that's not my vision. Right. That's your vision. So yeah, I think I do that? <laughs> something like the book, I think, cause the book really meant a lot to me. It was like, I had been working on it for like over a decade and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to not mess this one up, you know? But um, I think it's okay as well to not know exactly, you know, how everything's going to turn out. It's like every week I publish a new piece on my Substack, Miseducated. And like not every week, people, a lot of good people are going to read it. You know, sometimes I even write a piece that I really love and then doesn't resonate as much with people. Well, that's okay. You know, like you're just going to keep putting out work and then eventually things going to catch on. Like it's not, it's not all like crystal clear. 
And it's definitely difficult to balance between like what you think the audience wants to read and like what you want to write, you know, like that's something yeah. that I'm always kind of like struggling with. Cause I'm like, Oh, it would just be so much easier if I wanted to write about like, you know, tech or like cryptocurrencies or something. And I would like just have that kind of like following on Twitter, yeah, and that was my niche, you know, whereas like yeah. there's with artistry is with music as well. It's like, do you want to make popular music or do you want to make like weird niche electronic music? Like, you know, it's difficult. How do you want to show up in the world? Right. And like, doing what you think other people want versus like trying to please yourself. That's, that's a challenge. Yeah. It's always been, you know, a lot of the, the heroes I have are people that, that went through, you know, not instant fame, like mm. Bob Dylan, Bob yeah. Dylan, you know, he started, he, he tried to emulate Arlo Guthrie, Woody Guthrie. And then he suddenly went electric and he was called like a Judas, you know, like right. he, he came down <laughs> and it was like, and what he did in 66 there, I mean, I heard and people were hating it. And he would, you know, people call him a Jesus and he yelled back to the crowd, I don't believe you. And what I really loved about that, here's an artist that tried to redefine in real time who he mm -hmm. was. People yelled at him, called him a Judas, and then he yells, I don't believe you. And so that was very inspiring to me because like, and you know, everybody knows how big Bob Dylan is today, but that was like at the beginning. Totally. And he had that kind of reaction because he chose to do something unexpected right. of what even his fans did not like what he was doing. And yeah, I was like, and sometimes you have to kind of push it because <laughs> totally. that's where you, you are. You have to constantly like recreate yourself and try to break out of genres and stuff that you find yourself getting stuck into, you know, um, and redefine yourself as an artist. So, yeah, it's not an easy... <laughs> It's not an easy thing, which is also why I don't understand like people who don't like writing who are authors, you know, like I, I like at least for me, I find it to be a very enjoyable activity. Like that's why I want to do it all the time. But like if you don't even enjoy the creative process yourself, I feel like that's where most people get up, give up because they just don't, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't have enough like soul and interest in doing it, which makes sense. Like, why would you want to put yourself through that much struggle if, if you don't even enjoy oh, yeah. doing it? Well, the vulnerability, I think it's like when you're an artist you're willing to be vulnerable. Right. You put your piece out there. Like you said, you could have a piece that resonates with you. And it's like, this is where I'm at right now. And you, if you have a like, you know, website or podcast, you can immediately put it out. And I do that. I put out songs and sometimes I get thousands of people to like it and to get one person to like it. I'm like, when that one, so the song that one person likes, like I dug it. Yeah. I thought it was the best thing I ever wrote. It was like, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it's like they, they didn't get it. So yeah, it's some you know, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't put it out. That right, it's just the put practice the putting the work out there too, which is I think it's you're saying is like you're putting out multiple songs and putting out multiple pieces. Like there's no telling is even as creators, like we don't know what's going to do well, what's going to resonate, what isn't. Um, the classic example of this as well, just recently, I read a really good book called How Not to Die Alone by Logan Yuri, and I've been trying to like date more recently. So one of the things that she talks about is that you should get you should get select like 20 photos of yourself and then get a close friend or somebody to evaluate which photos of you are the best because you cannot for your the life of you you know see subjectively what which one which one is the best photo and my friend I showed a couple of my dating profile pictures to like a couple of my friends and they chose this one of like me in this red jacket that I don't particularly like and they were like oh my god I love this photo of you and I was like what like this doesn't make any sense but now it's on my dating profile and hopefully it'll <laughs> help me it'll get work. more matches 
So sometimes just having that, you know, and that's that's the interesting thing is when you detach from a piece, right? You you birth the song or the article or whatever it is. It's no longer even yours anymore. Like each person who yeah. comes across it can interpret it in their own way, um, which is awesome. And uh, it just makes the whole process of putting out a body of work like like a really fascinating and fun thing to be able to do. So. What do you think about that, that that whole concept? Like when you put something out, the audience or the reader kind of owns it and how they interpret it. Like you could have had a vision of right. how you want people to interpret your work and then suddenly people see it in a way. And then if you have ever had like a reader come back and interpret something in a way that you did not actually intend at all. Oh, yeah. Actually totally. so, had light when they actually told you how they saw it. Did it make you like really think it's like, wow, I didn't even oh, know God. it would be impact. It would impact people that way. Yeah, totally. Well, one, one small example is my friend read this piece that I thought I was writing from a place of like aggravation and anger. And she was like, oh my God, that was such a funny piece <laughs> like, that you wrote about. I was like, what? <laughs> um, the other one that I wrote recently was like called My Hard Biological Truth. And it was all about the fact that like, I've now as of like six months ago, gotten like really bad baby fever. So I'm constantly thinking about like wanting to like have my own family. And so it's basically this thing now where it's like when I, if I'm, you know, out with friends or like dating a guy, it's like, I'm thinking about that, right? Setting myself up for like having a family in the future. And so it was basically an interesting reflection on the fact that I don't actually want a boyfriend. I just want a baby. Right. And then my friend was telling me all about the fact that like, she's older than me. She has a couple of kids. And she was basically just saying that a lot of her friends just settle down with whoever when they're in their mid to late thirties, because, um, that's the guy that was there when they decided that they wanted to have kids. So she took it in this whole different direction that I wasn't even thinking about. I was just saying like, hey, I met this cute guy, but I'm also having baby fever. Like, what is this internal struggle that I'm happening? And she was just like, oh, no, this is actually a real thing that many women in their late 30s actually deal with by just, you know, having a kid with yeah. the last person that comes along um, when they can. So that, that I found was to be very interesting um yeah that's an interesting dynamic because like yeah because you might have like like a time is tick the clock is ticking and you're thinking right. like well how many chances do i have if i if i'm too discerning well i miss my shot you know and so and yeah. then it's like kind of it goes it tells like the whole story of like romance it's like everybody has these big ideas uh, like romance it's like the titanic or something like yeah. some big romantic story and then like sometimes you talk to your grandparents your great grandparents, they talk to your uncles, and it's like, yeah, they were like, not, we were in the village. What happened? That was it. Yeah, and like that's also the point is that here I am. That was exactly what the the piece was about. Was like I met a guy for like fifteen minutes, and here I am projecting like our future trajectory in a really like unrealistic way. You know, like that's a that's an interesting point about it. And I think the the point about it in general, and this is like the same with all all forms of art, is that um in the specifics you know, you, people can relate to the universal, right? Like you yeah. think that you're like, you know, distracting people or like taking people away from the experience of art. If you're talking about like, I don't know, the, the like the like lint on the corner of his bow tie as you're like going to the opera together. <laughs> but like yeah. we're in those details, that's how you actually tap into like the like, you know, the collective like human consciousness and that kind of experience. So um, I, I highly recommend if you're trying to like write anything, uh, just be as specific as possible. And it'll really. That's interesting. I was yeah. talking to another, like a teacher, like a, a professor, and he taught literature. And he was when he was teaching people how to do storytelling. 
Mm-hmm. You were saying like like if I go and I and I give it like like a cigarette brand and I I, I have a car and I the car's got a dent in it and it's like a Studebaker and this guy's smoking a certain type of cigar and I name what it is and I gave all these details and he's drinking this type of beer and the the details like trigger these like like visions in the reader. Wow. Yeah. And then they latch onto it. You don't know which ones they're going to latch onto, but it kind of pulls them in. It's like as a writer, that you start to learn, like how to paint. Like I mean, it, we, we musicians, we talk about sound painting. Mm-hmm. We try to layer things to kind of mm-hmm. trigger the same thing. Yeah. So we'll have sounds that we're trying to trigger certain emotions. We're trying to trigger certain feelings and hoping that yeah. I'll bring that up at least where we're at, and maybe other people will feel it too. But. Yeah, that's totally it. And like, it's also more fun that way, I think as well, because then whatever you're saying is like uniquely you, you know what I mean? Like in, especially in my book, um, I talk a lot about like what teenagers were doing like 2010 in London, you know, it's like a super specific, like, and like I even have a Spotify playlist that I made alongside my book. Um, it's yeah, these, these perfectly careless things. You can find it on Spotify with the cover as well. And it's like a list of like a hundred songs that were of that era. So like, as mm-hmm. you're reading, if you want to like read along with it, whatever, but it's like, that was the music that we were listening vibes. to. You're catching we were, like, vibes. Too, yeah. too, drinking, buying shitty vodka from like the corner shops and like going around to each other's houses when our parents were like out of town. You know, um, so yeah, it's a really, it makes it more fun. That's the vibrancy of of writing in life. It's great. So in terms of like writing practice, when I talk to some, you know, you know, musicians, like they, sometimes you're, you're, they do it, they write on the bars. They take mm-hmm. a sheet music and they write the bars down. Sometimes people have notepads or voice memos. They go to their piano, they go, they, they're very, you know, they come from different places. Uh, so it's kind of like this idea, do you do a lot of stream of consciousness? Do you do a lot of planning? Uh, is or it kind of is whatever serves the piece? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I don't really have a specific writing process. One thing that I will say though, is I do have this like note. It's kind of a fun, like it's actually just pieces of paper, uh, which oh, I bought wow. on the street here in Mexico. Um, but basically if I'm going to go for a walk, I write like a question down. So maybe it's like, I, I also have to do a lot of social media and like TikTok and stuff. So I'll be like, what should I do on my TikTok this week or something? And then I write that question down and like answers and ideas will like come to me um, as I'm walking around. So I just have like little, you know, sticky notes and things there. But um, yeah, apart from that in the morning, I really try to like get some writing done. It's, it doesn't always happen. Um, and then other times, like a lot of times at night as well, like the, an idea for a piece will just like come and then I have to sit down and write it. Otherwise it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just about practice. I think like if you're doing, and then I I also do morning pages like every day. So like my, my three, three pages of like stream of consciousness journaling. Um, and then other days, if I feel like a specific emotion, like I'm feeling really angry about something or I'm really upset about something or just like stress or whatever, then I will just sit and write uh, you know, without any specific ending, um, until I feel like that's kind of, until I like, feel like I've understood and like reflected on the issue and then things have like improved from there. Um, so I find it very therapeutic, as I was saying for very, for all different kinds of reasons, but, um, yeah, editing definitely is, takes a, a certain mind frame as well. So there's only so many hours of like hardcore <laughs> editing that I could do every day. Um, yeah. So there's all different kinds, but like, I feel like the best thing to do is just invite it into your life, like as much as possible, make it super easy. So I have my like sticky notes right here. I have my pens everywhere. I have like four different journals everywhere. One by my bed, one in my backpack, like, you know, just so that if you're just wandering around and existing, 
you'll have ideas and things will happen to you. Um, yeah. And then I think, yeah, it's kind of like, um, well, I have a book. Kind of, I've always been into the romantic poets, mm-hmm. you know, Blake and Tennyson, Wordsworth, and the idea of like the muse. Right. And the kind of idea of music of like this universal, like uh, keys that you can kind of tap into. Yeah. And they kind of come from the muse. Yeah. And it's just kind of, you know, it's just like trusting your talent, right? Trusting your, like your inner muse and then there's this outer muse. I think when you when you're a creative person, like there's all this stuff subconsciously that you've kind of right. tapped into, mm-hmm. and you don't know what's going to trigger that kind of creation moment. And when you're right. a creative person, like you said, you could be walking in the woods, you could be in your car, you could be like sitting in the tub, you could whatever. You, it, it is sometimes something just happens, yeah. and it just triggers, it and then boom, all this stuff comes. And I think what well, as a creative person, you have a way to channel that. Yeah, definitely. You I mean, you how have to channel that. Yeah, you have your outlets like available to you. And like one thing I would say, I really am a huge fan of obviously The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I think going on artist dates, so like taking yourself to like a museum or the park or like a shop that you like or whatever, um, or like, you know, a petting zoo or just silly. It could be literally anything. Um, that's really great. And then also you have to just live your life, right? Like you have to go out to dinner. You have to like cook for your friends or like have a meal or like talk to your mom or like whatever it is because that is the fabric of life is so rich and you, it will just filter out all of these things, you know, um, yeah. as you're going through life. Yeah. You never know. You can be walking down the street and to get the trigger. That's why, you know, as, as an artist, like I have my voice memo, I have this little handheld little synthesizer. If I'm on a bus, I can put my headphones on and I can just, if I pick something up, if I see something, it just, boom, I just come up with something. Yeah. And what I find is like a lot of artists will just have ways to like, even when they're on the go, they just have a way that if that moment comes, they're just kind of in tune to, to right. kind of try to put it down or try to, you know, have some sketch of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, you just got to have it all available to you, like all of the all of the stuff. But you can't get too picky about things like pens and stuff. You know what I mean? No, like you can't happens. get too picky about like, you're like, oh, I can only write, you know, on Saturday afternoons when I've had my cup of coffee and like my children Temporary. are like, not bothering yeah. me. It's like, no, you have to. And and also I think Elizabeth Gilbert talks, to, talks a lot about this in a really great podcast that she did, where she basically talks about the fact that she would go on Facebook and be like, so, you know, like what is stopping you from your creative projects? And all these people are like, oh, I just don't have enough time. Da, 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 da. And it's ironic <laughs> because she put that note out on Facebook. <laughs> you know, so it's like, well, you can find if you can just like half the amount of time that you're spending on social media. Um, that's actually something that's uh, that I'm very passionate about as well. I'm in a 12-step fellowship um, called ITAA. So I'm not like affiliated with them. I don't speak for them or anything, but um, I just use, I go to their meetings because they talk about like how to not be addicted to the internet and I want to not be compulsively using the internet. And so I started joining them like in August of last year and it's made a huge difference as to like how much I'm writing, um, how much I'm reading, you know, my actual creative output is like been, been hugely changed by um, by going to their meetings. So that's a whole, whole that's life. That's because a lot of times, well, in modern world, we have so much noise because we have, you know, you got your smartphone, you got your smart watch, you're getting pinged all day, right? right? You can get pinged like every minute of the day because you've got these things attached to you, right? right. And if you don't, as a, as a person, like even if you're not an artist, if you don't find a way to kind of disconnect and get some kind of peace and quiet from the noise, 
Because mm-hmm. I find as, as an artist, what I found is um, if I actually have some t- quiet time, like there's nothing going on, and I just kind of clear my mind, even if I'm not going to meditate or something, just kind of have a peaceful place where I'm not getting TV or internet or anything coming in, that in those quiet moments, that's where sometimes things happen. Right. Exactly. And But if you don't give yourself that peace, if you're always on or always getting inputs, then you're Whereas you're kind of discerning. There's no discerning that quiet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of my writing teachers, Anne Randolph, says that the key to creativity is mental and physical relaxation. And so the other day when I had to like write a piece, it was like really late at night on Thursday. And I usually publish on Fridays and I had like written nothing. So I just was like, I'm going to get ready for bed. I was literally about to fall asleep. And then that's when an idea for a piece came to me. And I would just like wrote that. I was like, that, that's it. And then done. Boom. That's done. <laughs> Yeah, mentally and physically relax. I highly, highly recommend. But I wanted to also talk about you. You you talk about how you went to the Wharton School, and that's business. I did. But I think (laughs) a lot of times, artists, you know, when you if you have some kind of structure, like a lot of times people say, "Well, I just want to be an artist. I don't want to have any kind of business structure. I don't have any kind of logical structure. I just want to be a pure artist." Right? But like, what? Uh, what benefits can you talk about from the Wharton School and how that's actually helped you from the business uh, aspect? Of, very uh, many benefits, all the benefits. Um, apart from like almost, you know, killing my creative soul, um, now that I still somehow escaped and still have that, um, basically I was able to work in tech. So like I had, you know, business analytics as a skill set. So like SQL, coding in SQL and doing data analytics projects. That's still how I'm able to support myself now. So I have my own data clients, um, you know, that I've gotten through referrals and that kind of stuff. So I really highly recommend that you definitely need a side gig, if not like a main gig, um, if you're going to be doing artistry things. And the good thing about freelancing, at least, is that you can be in control of your time, you know, so I can do this podcast at like 4pm on a Friday or like a Tuesday afternoon or whatever. And like, no big deal, because I have other time in the day when I'm doing my work. Um, so at least at least the structure of freelancing life really works for me. But I, as much as I detest my data career, um, love my clients. I don't know if they're probably not listening, but <laughs> but they're, they're great. Um, the people that pay me are great. But apart from that, it's like just a means to an end so that I can have more of my time available to work for, to focus on the things that I really want to do. And a lot of the times with, you know, music or art or writing, it's like these things can take years and years and years before you know, you have any kind of like meaningful following um, and and people will pay you to speak publicly or people will pay you to like, I don't know, do other consulting products that are like related to your art. So um, yeah, there's a, it's important to have income and to be able to live. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes a bit of figuring out though what that variation is for you. Like for me, I don't want to have a full-time job ever again. So I just do freelance data consulting um, and that, that pays my bills and then I can, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what the Wharton school gave to me. So thank you. Thank you, Wharton. <laughs> well, it's good because you know, some people have this artist aesthetic where they think you got to be a starving artist. Right. right. You got to be an artist commune, living with five, six, seven, ten people and living in this some place in, you know, in San Francisco or yeah. Boston or New York. And it's like, okay, well, that's not that comfortable <laughs> you need to live it's very important and also like you also need money to pay for your art like if i want to print copies of my books that's going to cost me like a grand or like have an editor like i want to have a good editor for my books so i'm going to have like su- like money saved aside so that i can do those things um i highly highly recommend yeah having some some other kind of income or if you just have a full-time job that's like pretty chill you know yeah. and you can like find another time to do your art during the day 
Um, but productizing art is also very important. So me and I have a couple of girlfriends and I, we have like a, a group meeting every other week. And all we discuss is like how to make money from our creative projects. So whether yeah. that's hosting like a workshop or like, you know, doing some kind of video online, like some kind of like video um, workshop series, even like that's a really great way to continue to make money as you're building and doing your passions. So also though, cool. like a lot of people don't realize, like if you're an artist, you got to market yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, having a, and having a business background can help you market. You know, it's totally. not a widget. It's not a widget. It's not like the typical corporate five, you know, corporate product. It's your yeah. it's your art. But having yeah. some idea of how marketing works or how, you know, how these principles of sales principles work and understanding like economics to a certain degree of what you yeah. should know how to do. Totally. Because it ends up being a business. A lot of artists, like they're in business for themselves and they're selling their their own vision. But you've right. got to still kind of product, turn that into a product. You know, yeah, and a lot of artists, they're like, oh, I don't want to turn it into a product. But it's like, it is, it is somewhat of a product. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly actually what I do in terms of data analytics and consulting there. Like there's a lot of different types of data you can analyze. Like there's it's it's a very very broad field but i specifically have been focusing on seo and growth consulting so these are these are businesses with blogs so if you type in like i don't know like what is honey or like how is honey made and then you it pulls up like a honey company and suddenly you're like browsing their products like on their website and stuff right so that's the exactly the point of seo and and like the performance of content and blogs online um and so that's the specific niche that i now focus on with my corporate clients so as much as you can like if you have any kind of monetizable skill set or like niche knowledge in some area um try and find a way to like bridge that with your art so that you can like make money in like in ways that are still kind of annoying, but ultimately you're learning marketing, as you're saying, or like other other important useful things. Um, Cause that's how you're gonna pay the bills while you're doing your passions. Yeah, that's 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 how you can be a sustainable, like independent artist. Yeah. You don't have to be associated with some big, you know, uh, like you said, with a big publishing house. That's how there's so there's like the independent musicians today that aren't associated with labels or like the independent writers that yeah. aren't necessarily associated with big publishing houses, but they can still find ways to, you know, market and, and be successful. And, yeah. uh, and like, even that's, within that's the music, cool like the music industry, like Spotify, like, um, and then Amazon and, and also Spotify with audiobooks for like book people, like these platforms are like absolutely decimating, like the income of like independent artists and stuff, you know, like I have musician friends and they say that they need like 3000 listens to get like one cent or something out of yeah, the Spotify royalties. Um, so, so basically we're, we all like have to be on these platforms and like do all of our own marketing anyway. But I would say like for musicians being a merch, having a cool brand, yeah, like, I don't know, Hermanos Gutierrez or like Jungle, like these people have like incredible branding and then you want to wear their merch as well as listen to their music. And suddenly, you know, you've got shows and tours and like concert tickets and like people wearing your stuff. Um, so there are just like, there's just tricks to the trade that is the, the actual yeah. dirty work of like building a scalable artist life. Um, and that's exactly what, you know, people have to do. So not easy. Well, merch, yeah. Means. Merch. If you think about it, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to, like, you, I make more money selling my shirts literally than, than I do making my music, but, but the music is kind of like, it's like the radio, the music right. brings people in and they get mm. aware of you. 
Totally. And then if your merch tables, you sell your shirts and your pins and your, you know, all kinds of things. And those things actually bring in the cash and then right. owning the rights to your music. Then what we tend to do is licensing. Yeah. Licensing. And I, you understand that as a writer, it's like, mm -hmm. if you license your stuff and it gets into a Netflix series yeah, or it gets into like, or you audio books or different platforms or film or, you know, that that's how you can monetize. And you don't yeah. necessarily have to be the biggest name in the world to suddenly start getting some pretty good deals. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely two aspects of that, which is I saw an Instagram reel yesterday where this girl was saying that if you upload your audiobook to Spotify right now, they like their terms basically say that they can redistribute, reuse your work in whichever way they want to. So just I haven't done my audiobook on Spotify for that reason yet. So just be careful mm -hmm. with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the other version of that is, yeah, monetizing and like figuring out how to like actually make money from your art, which is a whole it's a whole ball game in and of itself. Um, but yeah, I guess you also just learn over time. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to wake up the first day and be like, you know, this oh. is how I'm going <laughs> to live as a, as a full-time artist. The other thing I'll just say is that, uh, what is also pretty clear, um, I'm trying to remember the, the guy's, uh, Instagram handle or his platform. But anyway, uh, he was, there was a talk at a conference that I saw a snippet of recently. And it's basically the idea that probably like the top 1% or 5% of your listeners who are like the diehard fans, they're the ones who are going to pay for the merch, who are going to show up for the concerts, like all that kind of stuff. So like, you're not actually really, you obviously people want like big audiences and like, yes, you want everyone to like be able to experience your work, but it's completely fine if, if not better that 1% of the, the top people that listen to your stuff, those, those are the people who are going to be like actually yeah. supporting you. <laughs> like the, the number is, is, yeah, it's not the full million views. If you got a million views, yeah. it's like it's a very small percentage to actually go and buy the vibe. Yeah. And those buy, people might yeah. be, be willing to spend a lot of money on various things that you have. So yeah, you, know, you get the diehards that. that follow yeah. you, show up to shows, buy the shirt, yeah. want to get the signed book you know exactly they, they, the special they, so, exclusive one-on-one -on -one ama whatever you might have to offer so yep so as a writer one thing i always ask writers is because like an art as a musician i can go on a stage and get immediate feedback yeah and i guess you do podcasting mm -hmm. so you can get immediate feedback from that but as a yeah. writer like if i guess if you go out to a like a writer convention or you go to a, a book convention you can get like a feedback from the crowd that way but do you do that do you go out to conventions do you do I'm that I should do that more like and do real live events. One thing I will say is in writing my book, I had beta readers. So these are people in my target audience. So they, for me, they were like 15, 16 year old girls and I would pay them like $75 to read and critique my book. Um, and then I did that in like three different rounds. So you don't want to get too many people because then you'll have like 10 different completely opposing ideas of like what your book should say. Um, but it is really helpful to get that kind of feedback early on, especially if you're writing a book. Um, same with like paying editors, that kind of stuff. In terms of other feedback, I would just say like, I go on pure, like number of reads, like number of likes. Um, surprisingly, I am I feel lucky that I haven't gotten that much criticism yet or feedback, but I feel like that's because I'm like only just really starting to do marketing. And then once, you know, the people, You're out there, yeah. once the people, once the haters find me, you know, <laughs> it's one but of sometimes my the haters, it's like a marketing ploy. Like if you get certain haters, you get you get sales. It's like it's like the whole idea. The any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. It's an old marketing well, ploy. Wasn't, 
That was Cardi B's <laughs> acceptance speech, no? When she was like, and I want to thank my haters because if you're listening to mu my music, that means you're it's benefiting me, you know? <laughs> like, it is. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious. So, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes you have these things that seem to be invented, like these mm -hmm. kind of invented media sensations that happen on our social media. And it's like, oh, I can't believe what this person said or oh, I hate what they're doing. And it's like, well, you, well, you keep on looking at it. You keep on keep right. on clicking it. Keep on, it's like, well, then you're helping them. It's like, yeah. it's like so if you hate them, doesn't seem you're like still following him. <laughs> you're following them all day. It's like, it's like that's not really. It's like, what are you doing? But yeah. um, <laughs> one thing I like to ask people is kind of a, a a different question. Yeah. What are three things about you that maybe your your audience or your readers um, would be surprised to know about you? Oh goodness. Um, well, I think the fact that I went to the Warden School is pretty surprising <laughs> already. Um, so that's a good one. Um, maybe the fact that this book is semi-autobiographical. Like, I did not make that super clear when I was first releasing it. And that, like, some of it is real and, like, did happen. Obviously, the characters are all different and, like, you know, um, the people are different. But, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. Um, I live in Mexico and I speak Spanish and I enjoy living in Mexico City and doing everything to do with Mexican culture, which is also something unusual. And um, yeah, I guess maybe also that my like great grandmother grew up on a farm in like rural Ireland and didn't have electricity in their house until like 50 years ago. So I think I think that's also part of my motivation like, as a writer is, is that I you know talked to my grandmother. Um, who couldn't have like a credit card in her name until like the 70s or whatever it was. Um, just to see like how much things have changed, you know, for women and, you know, other minorities or people who have historically been oppressed, I think in the last like 50 years is crazy. Um, and so part of the reason I write is just because I can, you know, like it's a kind of a privileged thing to be able to do, right? Like we have all these tools, like anyone can make Twitter, make a Twitch account or like uh, make an Instagram account and like share your thoughts and stories with the world. Um, and so I think just being able to do your art is a privilege. And, uh, that's why that's a really good reason to do it. It's just, if like the type of person that you are, like historically your grandparents wouldn't have been able to do the same thing, go for it, make for all the it, art yeah. you can. I really, really believe in that. Now, are there lessons learned from the whole experience of um, uh, writing your book, these perfectly careless things? Are there any mm -hmm. core lessons learned that you would think might help other writers or authors or creative people? Wow. Yeah. I've got <laughs> lots of things coming to mind. Um, I think you have to just like actually decide when you're going to finish it. You know, like you can, like, as I said, I wrote this book for 15 years. Like you have to decide when is enough. Um, and actually, do you want to be an aspiring author or do you want to be an actual author, right? Like, you probably wouldn't be talking to me right now if I had not published this book. Like, let's be real. Like, sure, whatever. I have, like, my subs, like, I have my articles. Like, I do have some really vague internet presence. Um, but I think actually deciding to finish something, very important to, like, doing the thing. Um, and, yeah, I would just say also, like just enjoy the process of making it like as much as you can because the thing is that that final destination you know of like finishing a book like that takes freaking forever um and it's such a vague and like the point in time that you like can't even crystallize so i really just think you have to like enjoy the process of writing it as much as possible and keep improving it oh yeah also if you're trying to write something like this you have to just like focus on making it better and improving it over time like you're not going to write the perfect thing now 
you've got to say, is my draft better than it was six months ago, a year ago? Like, am I am I improving this story as it's going along? Um, and I'm, am I becoming a better writer? Hopefully the answer is yes, because that means you've actually been writing. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are a couple of the major, major takeaways, but mostly just like actually do the thing. Most important one. <laughs> now I know you on your podcast, you, you do you know, business and, and pleasure and you, you, you probably use it as a, as a place to um, try new, new, new workout. But um, mm -hmm. are you working on another novel right now? I actually have two books planned, um, but the books probably are going to, I'm going to start writing them like next year. Uh, I've actually started writing one of them already. Uh, it's like a summer romance story. So like, you know, that like summer fling when you're in your late teens and you're just like, everything's so warm and vibrant and it's just incredible. Uh, that's the first half of the book. And then the second half of the book is them meeting again, like five years later to decide whether or not this like beautiful summer fling can exist in the real world. Um, so that's interesting. That's my second book. Um, third book, I will leave for another time. But this year, I'm focused on selling my book and also writing other articles as well. So just like putting out smaller pieces like a couple times a week if I can. Um, mm -hmm. And just building that body of work because that that's a lot more like short term and rewarding. <laughs> than like building a like writing a book can be um but I think the, the thing about writing a book and you know it's not something that I take lightly because it is a huge undertaking and that's also why I'm like kind of reluctant to really start writing my second book is because like I feel a lot of love for my second book already like it's already there it's already like forming in my mind um and I can't wait to write it but it just means that I'm not going to be writing other stuff like articles or oh, you know yeah. doing as much social and everything too so yeah, it's a bit of a commitment, unfortunately. <laughs> what, what do you feel about like uh, podcast in general? Because I know you're you have a podcast, and, and this is, seems to be a really kind of like it's the end thing. Like they like every business is doing a podcast, like an infomercial. There's so many people doing them. Big major networks are doing them. It's yeah. kind of like like Spotify now. Like like so many artists, mm -hmm. it's getting flooded. Compared to like I started this back in 2016 yeah and you know now it's like everybody's got a podcast <laughs> right yeah i mean i also used to work at vox media with a v not fox vox media in new yeah. york and i worked on podcasting and the monetization business around podcasting and it's definitely you know one of the fastest growing businesses in the media industry um especially if you can get like advertising and that kind of stuff i think storytelling is really important and it's really fun and like my friend my other friends who are gay have one called mind the gape you know like just whatever it is, like people, can, <laughs> people should be able to make their own stories and like, um, and share those with the world. So I'm, I'm very pro podcasting in general. Like, do we think that we're going to have like an excess of shows? I mean, yes, but then hopefully, you know, the meritocracy will happen and then like the best will somehow rise to the top. I mean, who knows, but yeah. I just think storytelling is very important. And my, my, one of my main, main reasons with the podcast as well was like, if I don't tell the story or help somebody tell the story, then their story may never be told. Like my grandmother's story is on there, which is really interesting. So I learned a lot about her life when I interviewed her. Um, and it is a lot though. I mean, to get the, I, mean, I like that you do this live because like I would used to have to edit my podcast episodes and that would take me like 10 hours an episode. And when I'm not getting paid anything to do that, it's a lot of time, you know, it's like audio editing is not my favorite thing to do. Um, which is why I have an editor now. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. challenging, but storytelling's fun. So yeah. Yeah, I decided a while back to do live because then I can just do more. Cause I right. you know, tonight I'm doing like three. 
I have three Incredible. live podcasts and I, I pretty much do one almost every day. And yeah. it's, it just allowed me, you know, this is actually episode 1062. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've been doing them so much and it just is this idea. Like if you spend so much time on one, trying to edit the ums out, then you can't talk to other people. And so I made the decisions like I'd rather just let it go, let all that perfect kind of inclination go away and mm -hmm. just be able to talk to as many people as I can. And so yeah. that's where I kind of made the choice. And it's like, it is what it is. <laughs> totally. And I think yeah. there's so much, there's a lot, like, I really respect you for that as well, because like literally part of this is to just keep going, you know, like if you're still doing it since 2016, like that in and of itself is a huge success, right? Like you haven't gotten distracted. You haven't like given up. Like there's so many times that you probably could have just been like, oh no, not today. Like whatever. No, you're still here. Like that's incredible. Um, so that's, that's, I think also for the long term, what you really need to really keep committed and, you need commitment to stay, stay in the game. Yeah. So, I think you just yeah. have to show up. It's just the idea. Like you, you finally, yeah. you knew you wanted to be a writer. It took you some time to, to kind of <laughs> get it together, but it's yeah. like showing up. Like if you show up eventually, you say, you know what? I got to do this. And yeah. it happens, you know, like, but once you do it, then, then the next thing happens and the next thing happens. Cause it's like, you have to open, open that opportunity by, yeah. by, you know, being out there. Yeah. And you know, it just be, ends up happening. But I do have another podcast and I oh, do, yeah? would love to talk more. Oh. But while let people know we do have your link up tashdoherty.com forward slash book. Yeah. Now, when people, here's your book. It's great. Now, if people it's click on that, that's how, how they can get to it besides yes. the other places they could get to it. Um. Yeah, you or you can find me on Instagram or to TikTok or anything. It's miss miseducated with two S's underscore. So awesome. I'm out there on the internet. And um, I will just say that last final thing, which is that in terms of keeping going, not every day you're going to be able to make, you know, three podcast episodes or put in like seven hours of writing. But if you just do like a tiny bit every single day, very soon, and you'll build that habit, you know, over the long term of your career, that will work absolutely wonder wonderful things. So if you happen to enjoy... Uh, a spicy coming of age novel set in London in 2010. Um, or want to read more of my work? This is this is my pride and joy and my beauty, my book. So I hope you guys like it. Thank you. I do encourage everybody to click on that link and and then look for the title of the book we just mentioned again. And uh, you know the these perfectly careless things. And uh, yeah, I wish you great success. And, you know, in the future, when you have another book ready to come, go, and if you want to talk about that book release, like we're always have people come for the second episode. So we're always open to that. So thank you again for being on the show and have a great night. Thank day. you so much. Thanks so much, everyone. Hope you enjoyed <laughs> it. Catch you soon. Bye. Bye.